Plot twists. We are obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that moment in a story that takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, super fan of cinema, sport, comedy, and I'm part of the odd impression. And throughout this series, brought to you by Now and Sky, I'll be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about the plot twist moments that define their lives and careers. So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems you've never heard before. Expect spoilers. Well, it's awards season, and my guest this week is no stranger to the big awards. Two-time Academy Award winner Jodie Foster. She won two Oscars before the age of 30 for The Accused and, of course, Clarice in Silence of the Lambs opposite Anthony Hopkins. And guess what? She's up for another Oscar. This will be her fifth nomination for the film Nyad, an amazing true story based on Diana Nyad's return to endurance swimming, trying to complete a swim from Cuba to Florida. And Jodie plays her longtime coach and friend, Bonnie Stahl. It is a hopeful and inspiring movie. Jodie's career is unique, to say the least, starting at the age of three. A few years later, she's teaming up with Scorsese and De Niro in Taxi Driver. And even in that same year, does Bugsy Malone. When you look back at her career, she has been in some of the most influential cinematic titles of the 20th century. She's one of those performers that whatever she's in, there's a high probability of it being pretty good. Such as True Detective, Night Country. This is the fourth installment in the franchise, and I'm going to put it out there, I think it's the best yet. Fans of True Detective will know this is an anthology series. Each series takes on a different story. It's a different cast and a different location. For example, you've had Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrison on series one. You had Mahershala Ali with Stephen Dorff in series three. And Jodie and Kaylee Reese are fronting series four in the fictional town of Ennis, which is situated just slightly above the Arctic Circle in northern Alaska. It's an eerie environment that's just about to head into 60 days of darkness. Jodie plays Chief of Police Liv Danvers. We start off with eight scientists going missing and then seven very quickly being found dead. Ennis is primarily an indigenous community and the whole story is complicated through racism, political tension, corporate corruption and a fear of the dead which is related to local culture. It makes for a gripping series. Jodie stars opposite Kaylee Reese, who plays state trooper Evangeline Navarro. They team together to solve this case. It's Kaylee's third role, but she has this extraordinary presence on screen. Alongside acting, Kaylee is a four-time boxing champion. And with Jodie in this series, they are a formidable one-two punch. Going into the interview with Jodie, I'd watched five of the six episodes. All six are available to watch on Sky and now. In my mind, it's going to be one of the series of the year. And being set in Alaska, one theme is around ice. So I thought maybe I could break the ice by bringing Jodie a little gift. Here's my chat with Jodie Foster on Plot Twist. Jodie, I've got your present oh, to start things off. I like this. I've got your hat. <gasps> nice. Oh, Green Bay. Ooh, and it's a good one. I've never seen one like this before. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit different. It so is. So it's a Green Bay Packers hat, and I thought there's a few reasons behind it. You're a big Packers fan. I am. Um, I know you love your skiing, so I thought that could come in handy. That's true. That's um, true. I like my winter sports. So, And when you go to a Green Bay game, which I have never, I've never been to uh, Lambeau, so someday I will. When I get there, I'll be wearing my Green Bay hat. 
I appreciate that. <laughs> I thought we were talking about True Detective Night Country set in Alaska, but yes. obviously filmed in Iceland. And if ever you were to go back, you're going to need your beanie. That's so, true. There you oh, go. You always need a beanie. Covering all bases here. That's true. Uh, it's lovely to have you on the show. No, thank Thrilled you. to have you on. Um, I want to talk about plot twists in your okay. own life and career. Talk about True Detective, which is, which is just superb. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good it's show. Just, it's a great, great show. Thank you. But before we do, I want to talk about things that you're known for. Now, okay. when I say that, people might think of Silence of the, Silence of the Lambs or The Accused. Mm. Um, but I want to talk about your vinaigrette dressing. I've heard lots of rumors. <laughs> I've heard it's very good. What's the deal there? Because uh, yeah, I, you know, somebody somebody said, "What do you want your children to remember you? What remember about how you want to be remembered?" And I mean, I guess I want to be remembered for some like really mundane detail of something that brings back memories, right? So, yeah, and my vinaigrette dressing, of course, came from my mom. So it's all about my mom. Everything leads back to my mom. Is that your go-to if you've got like a hosting situation going on? Ah, uh, in the winter it's kind of a nice thing, right? Yeah. Because it's a green, but you can get it in the winter and uh, it's fresh and it's good for you. See, I'm not great with mustard, but okay, I feel well, like then I, that's a problem. It might be a problem, but I feel <laughs> if you're making it, I will try it. So I'm okay. just putting everything out there. Um, I'm going to come on to the first plot twist. Sure. This podcast is all about unexpected moments that okay. can change our own story narrative. We see it in TV and film. We see it in True Detective. Yes. But for you and your own story, the ultimate plot twist, what do you think that might be? My it's, own story? Yeah. My ultimate plot twist? In my own life? Yeah. What is it? Well, I guess that I'm still here. I mean, that's just <laughs> shocking, right, after 58 years in the business. Um, I certainly never thought I would be an actor when I grew up, let alone be an actor after 40, let alone still be an actor. Um, and I certainly, I think the biggest twist for me was uh, at 60, just like everything changed um, at 60. I suddenly didn't care about it, you know, just didn't give a fuck about anything and uh, was really ready to be happy in a way that I wasn't before with my work. So being able to recognize that it's not your time, that you had your time, and now it's your time to serve other people and to help give with your experience or whatever wisdom you bring to the table to kind of help other voices that haven't been heard, you know, be, be able to come to the forefront and be cent centered. What do you think's behind that? Was it a pressure in your 50s and then you just turned 16 and it's just something there's a weight off? What, what? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it might be science. I think it might be a chemical thing. I think that uh, something happens when you turn 60 and maybe there's like some hormone or something that goes surging through your body where suddenly you're like, eh, that'll be fine. Uh, the 50s are tough, I think, for women. I think everybody's confused about what you're supposed to play and who you're supposed to be, including women themselves. You know, I think we're all pretty confused about that. And I was getting pressure to compete with my younger self, which mm. I really didn't want to do. And um, nobody was ready to kind of let go of that, but I was. <laughs> It talks about obviously still being here, I suppose, in the yeah. sense of that plot twist. What what has sustained you? What what's been the thing that's kept you motivated throughout the years? You know, I think that as a young person, I felt like I felt like there was like sabotage to keep me from being real and from having real things in a real life. So, you know, I wanted to go to the market and I wanted to uh, you know write the check when I got a parking ticket, and I wanted to. Why don't you do the real things that make a human being feel like they're alive on Earth? And as a public figure, I think that that gets taken away from you, at a, at, and certainly at a very young age. So you have to fight for that, and I think that was a real blessing. I think that wanting to be real and wanting to experience what's real and continually making that choice as an actor, as an artist, and saying, like, is this real or is this fake? Because if it's fake, I don't want it, and if it's real, I want it, you know, I think has been a great thing for my work. 
How did you find real things in that time? Because obviously, starting at the age of three, yeah. big productions at the age of 12, like Taxi Driver yeah. and Bugsy Malone. And mm -hmm. how, how do you find ways to try and break away from that? I know you love your reading, for example. Right. Well, when I was young, you know, my mom made me do everything. So she made me make all the reservations, and she made me take out the trash, and she made me carry all the luggage upstairs, five flights of stairs when we went to France. And yeah, there was my mom, I think, who kept me grounded didn't let me get away with anything. A lot of pressure, right? Uh, I think, you know, look, yeah, being the breadwinner, being uh, being reviewed, being in the public eye, there's a lot of pressure to perform, I guess, and or at least to deliver. And, uh, uh, yeah, you have to learn how to navigate that, so you kind of develop some kind of survival skills. And then as you get older, you know, your kids keep you real, too. Oh, yeah. Right? So when you're yeah. trying to go to an award show and one of them's vomiting and the other one's, <laughs> you know, whatever, screaming, yeah. like it, uh, yeah, that keeps you real too, I think. Yeah, you're not the first person to say the kids yeah. have kept them, kept them grounded. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or even some interesting reviews. Mm. Um, well, come on to True Detective. It, right. is, it is phenomenal. I wanted to start with Issa Lopez, actually. Yeah. Because she made this interesting link where you could kind of see how her brain works uh -huh. when creatively. And she was talking about the first series with Matthew McConaughey and Woody mm -hmm. Harrelson and the influences of a film like Seven. And, and Silence of the, the Lambs. The, and then Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, and I yeah. thought, well, it's interesting. Obviously, now here we are, the fourth installment. He, right. You're fronting this with Kaylee Reese. And there is that kind of that, that link through. Yeah, and um, that's the genre, you know, of taking something that has horror, that has paranormal, that has uh, that palpitation, you know, the heart mm. palpitation, thrill, and also making sure that there's a, it's really deep and resonant emotionally. So sometimes you, you get one, but you don't get the other. And I think uh, that that was the genius of Sansa Lambs and in some ways was the an antecedent to all of these other shows and movies. What is it about her specifically? Because you said that she is your favorite director you yeah. work with. I mean, Scorsese's devastated. Yeah. He's upset. Ah, no, um, she is my is favorite. You know, I think it's a strange combination of being somebody obviously incredibly intelligent, emotionally intelligent, but the, the combination of opposites. She's somebody who's very flexible, so she you can come in and say, "I don't like this. We need to throw it out." And she's like, "Great, let's start. What are we going to do?" You know, yeah. uh, but then also very clear and decisive about where she's heading great instincts, but then also very intentional. So has ideas about how, camera ideas, et cetera, about how she's gonna do that. And then she's just fun. So she's the first person on the dance floor. She's humble, so she apologizes when she says something stupid. And I just love her as a human being, and I think that makes it a lot easier to trust somebody the way you need to trust a, a showrunner or a director. Did you see the emotion up front in the script? Where you're like, I have to be a part yeah. of this. Because looking at the last 10 years, you've done five acting Roles, I think. Is that right? I think okay. so. There's <laughs> yeah. quite a few, uh, quite a few directing roles. You know, yes, they've done like yes. Black Mirrors and those kind yeah. of opportunities. But you've been, I think you've earned the right to be selective. So, yeah. and I know you get a little bit bored with some scripts. You've said that you know if they don't engage you, they don't have that emotion. Perhaps it's not right. for you. Right. Or it's just doesn't is not resonant for me for whatever reason. You know, yeah. so some people are drawn to some things, and other people are drawn to other things, and uh, you don't always know why you're drawn to them. You know, you kind of find out through the course of the film. You're like, ah, that's why. Um, there's some link to your past or questions that you have about life or questions about who you might have been, who you're mm. not, but who you might have been. So I, I guess I wait to be moved. And as you, I don't know, there were many years of my life where I just couldn't find anything. So I'd go for four or five years without ever working. 
Um, I do other things, of course. I don't just like lie around the house eating bonbons, but, um, <laughs> but for me, in order to deliver a performance, I don't know how to do it unless I'm moved. I know there are other actors maybe who came about this differently and they're able to just kind of find it, but I, I can't find it unless the work really inspires me. And that's specifically in the script, the words themselves, yeah. right? The yeah. script and then there's the director. And the times that I've, uh, I've said, well, I'm not sure about the director, but I'm just gonna go ahead. I always, I always, I'm upset about that. That's yeah. always a bad choice. So you really do need, the, the director is the vision of the film and uh, that person is, you know, the person who really makes every, every decision and um, is the kind of uh, the, the, the orchestra conductor for the entire set and sure. for everybody else's, everybody else's voices. Let's talk about your character, okay. Liz Danvers. Yes. You said yourself she's a bit of a jerk. Oh, no, she's awful. She's awful. She's terrible. But th there is something about it that I, I, yeah. I've warmed to. I think because there's a backstory there, you know there's, yeah. there's trauma. Um, but she's also quite funny. Yeah, she's, well, I, she is funny. Sometimes she's not, she thinks she's funny, and she's not. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that I also found very amusing. Uh, we didn't realize that when we were first set out to make the show. Mm. That kind of just happened, um, where things that came out of her mouth were just like, what? What did you just say? Yeah. Um, that she was so unconscious, so insensitive, um, so selfish and self-absorbed and racist and, you know, um, honest, I guess. And there's, uh, even though sometimes she's a big liar and she's very corrupt, there's an honesty to what she does. And I, of course, love the relationship that she has with Evangeline Navarro, whose, mm. whose journey is central in the show. It must be some of those characteristics. It must be quite fun to delve into. Oh yeah, yeah, um, and and honestly, it's why the work is so much more fun in my sixties. Um, I knew that was going to happen. I kept kept saying that. I was like, I'm really looking forward to my sixties, because you get to try out parts of yourself that you were never allowed to do when you were the central person that was telling the story from beginning to end. Um, so being able to play more character roles and being able to be more supporting. I think has really freed me up to explore parts of my personality I wasn't able to do in my, you know, 20s and 30s. I think people have been really encouraged by that message. It's, yeah. it's a very hopeful one, you know, embracing change and taking on new projects. So uh, kudos to you. Yeah. The, the environment in the show is, is so unique. And I think yeah. it sets this amazing, even take away the script and everything else, just everything that's around you is so right. unique to everyone in that they don't experience that kind of place. Yeah, I mean, I had never really been in that. I, I, I do love the mountains and I like the snow, but I've never been in a, uh, an environment like that. So yeah, the, okay. the location in the show is Alaska, northern Alaska, so above the Arctic Circle in Alaska, a very particular part of the United States that none of us really know very well, uh, with um, probably about 80% indigenous population, uh, Inupiaq and Inuit in this case. And um, that, I think, allowed the place to have this kind of mysterious flavor, spooky, uh, really engaged spiritually because it's part of the native tradition. So if you remember season one with uh, True Detective, it's the bayou, it's Louisiana, and it's hot and sweaty, and there's lots of light blaring all the time. That has its own, that brings about its own kind of mystery and interest. And uh, this is an opposite, right? It's two women instead of two men. Yeah. And it's dark, it's night, it's cold. And um, the spookiness comes from, comes from the ground, you know. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you, do you believe in the spirits and? Um, you know, I'm a pretty logical, <laughs> sciencey person, but I do, as I've gotten older, and I think that I've 
had the kinds of hardships you do when you get older, the tragedies of people dying and people leaving you and, and uh, family members and all of that, I think that you start noticing that there are lots of things you can't explain. And so I really connected to that, that world where death is a part of life and is a part of the living world. I really understood that and I really was dying to talk about that in the show. The show really explores that well, because yeah. as the viewer, you've got yeah. that angle. You've also got sort of mental health issues at yes. one point, so you don't quite know what is actually right. real as such, right. which is a really unique perspective yeah. to... Um, yeah, I mean, and because the central journey, the central character is an Indigenous woman, a half-Indigenous woman, uh, half-Indigenous, half-Dominican, so half Inupiaq, half-Dominican, she lives between two worlds all the time. So she lives between the dead and the living. She lives between her two cultures. She lives between being a police officer and then having to police the community that she comes from. So she's always torn. And that's the perspective of the show. So the show is torn as well between those two worlds. And I think that gives it a kind of, like, you can't figure out what's mental health and, you know, what, what, what the point of view is, because the point of view is quite skewed. Katie Reese, your co-star. Yes. I'm going to say, she's a badass. She she's is. awesome. And I yeah. just thought, it's her third acting role. Yeah. Um, she's extraordinary. It's just extraordinary. I know, I'm just blown away by her. And I was the second I saw her in her screen test and then seeing her, you know, working with her in rehearsals. She is a badass, but Evangeline Navarro is a very connected, spiritual, emotional, vulnerable person. So for me, that's just so exciting to see those two things exist. Somebody who could just kick life out of somebody. Um, you know, she's a four-time four four world champion, so and yeah. she still holds her title. And yet somebody who's so loving and so full of care and mm. wants justice. Yeah. Knowing what she does, you know, outside of acting as a four-time boxing champion, to have that sort of vulnerability on screen, mm -hmm. I was quite impressed with. You said in the first screening test there that she just blew you away. What is that? What is it just something that somebody has and they just, they just got it? Yeah, yeah, and in her case, it's her relationship with the camera. And, uh, you know, as I always say to really great actors, you know, you, you're great, but mostly I'm thanking your parents because it's something you're born with and it's something that just comes through you. And she just has that relationship with the camera. You just can't stop looking at her. It seems now with streaming services and more TV shows getting made that there are new actors coming through that yes. have got less experience, and yeah. I think that's a great thing, actually. Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, it's wonderful that there's opportunities in streaming to hear different voices than we've heard on, uh, uh, in, in the mainstream distributed theatrical world. There is a huge shift where real narrative is all on streaming, and maybe your most conventional high-profile, expensive, kind of Superman-y movies are all theatrical. So there, there's been that schism, and yeah. so now it's really the most exciting place to see new voices and to experience drama is on the small screen. But, but even for you, with your experience, oh, yeah. it gives you the chance to delve into to Liz yeah. for six episodes an hour each. Yeah. It's different territory. It's quite yeah. You can do things on streaming that you can't do in a film. You know, obviously, a film is has three acts. It's you know, short story form, and it's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And you're there primarily and entirely to serve the story. Uh, with streaming, you got a long time. You know, you've got six, eight episodes, maybe ten episodes, yeah. and you're able to explore over periods of time relationships and the circularity of what life is and the kind of complexity that characters have. You know, you, I, I was able with this one to have a character who's really awful. I mean, she really is awful. And to have people intrigued enough to just sort of keep watching so that by the end they understand what all of that pain is, you know, what all of that fear is. 
It's just just very quickly remind me at the end of episode yeah. four that she's uh, chasing a suspect in a facility. Yes. And she says stop, and it's police. But then the, the suspect keeps moving on, yeah. and there's this pause, and she just goes fuck her. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I really enjoyed. Um, yes. Just on the on the on the streaming, and obviously being able to develop a character a little bit more. Looking back, I was trying to work out how. Oh, what's comparable for you? Because there aren't many options. I was looking, is it Paper Moon in 1974 you did yeah. with Christopher Connolly? Yeah. 13 that episodes? Was, that was probably my last TV show, yeah. Yeah, which I, I thought was quite remarkable. Yeah, mid-70s. Yeah. And honestly, it was heartbreaking, right? It was, the, the show got canceled and I was so, I was a kid and I was, had lived with all these people and the crew and everything and I was kind of heartbroken. And I was like, no, I don't want to do, I don't want to do TV anymore. I just want to do features. Let me come back to True Detective. Okay. I want to ask you a plot twist person. Okay. So this is somebody that is a surprise entity in some shape or form that's come in and influenced you. Okay. Is there anyone that, that sticks out as a plot twist person, perhaps? Less obvious, but <sighs> still a big influence. Uh, well, you know, it's always about teachers for me, you know? And teachers very often don't even realize they're teachers, right? So they're just people who live their life in ways that you don't feel like you have the strength or the confidence to be able to do it. Yeah, you know, uh, I have a friend right now who's a Buddhist and spiritual and wonderful lady, and she's on hospice right now, like today. And um, she really was great, is a great teacher for me. So, you know, just the way she lived her life. I, and I don't even, not even sure she realizes it. That's quite wonderful. Yeah. It's surprising, actually, the amount, especially recently in our episodes, the amount of people have referenced teachers just giving them a nod or a bit of a stare and even just a pick-me-up that yeah. sometimes, you know, that's, that can just mean the world. Yeah, I have a, a, a college professor named Henry Louis Gates Jr. He's quite famous and he's, you know, won all these genius grants and he's a professor at Harvard now. And um, he was only 10 years older than me when I was in college. That's how smart he was. He was so young. And um, he's a professor of African-American studies. And for me, he really has been a change maker for me, you know, opened up the world of Mother Africa. And he's just so fun. And we're still friends after all these years. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. What you, what, just talking on that, because I, I know you studied African-American, you just said yeah. you studied African-American studies. What would you have done if you decided to step away from acting? What would have... I think I probably would have been a teacher. Yeah. yeah. I think, I mean, that's where I was headed. And... Um, there was that moment in my life where I was like, okay, I took my GREs, I took my tests to, to go on to grad school with him, with my friend Skip Gates. And um, I had to make that decision. And I was like, do I do this, do that? And uh, I don't know, I, I, I love movies. There's, there's no way yeah. for me to walk away from them. It's funny, those sliding door moments. Like, yeah. yeah you go in one direction, two Oscars before 30. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's quite, quite contrast. But I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, college professors out there. It's like, oh, I could have been an actor. Yeah. I could have been an actor, you yeah. know? I think we all are romanticized the, whatever the other path was that we didn't take. And, uh, and we're all thinking that somehow our lives might have been completely different. And they probably would have been different. But, you know, the core of who we are is the same. I spoke to an actor in last week's episode, and he said he's an extrovert and he loves the audience, and he gets yeah. a buzz out of that. You said you're a little bit more different, but I'm yeah. probably the same, a little bit more introverted at times. And Yeah, just on I that. was not born to be an actor. Um, and it wasn't something I chose, it was just something I fell into as a child, you know, three years old, I didn't really have a choice. And I was good at it because I need to be good at things. Uh, and But it's not natural for me. So I had to find a kind of way around the external emotionality of it, which is not comfortable for me and not something I like. Even now? 
Even now, yeah, I'm just not that person. So I, it's really good for me though. It's kind of like, like drinking vinegar or something. It's good for <laughs> me, right? It made me, made me more open person. I think yeah. it made me a more um, integrated person, mm. but it's not what I would have chosen had I had my choice. Yeah, it just reminds me of what you're just saying that a lot of introverted people, they do have a performer in them. They are very capable, but yes. sometimes you just don't see that because they prefer sometimes being more of a shell. Yeah, and it's it, it's exhausting for me to be around a lot of people. So I do it and it's part of my job and then I have to like recuperate. So mm. I have to just like be by myself and you know, do my crosswords or uh, watch, do my fantasy football. Like <laughs> that to me is regenerative. It's the one thing when I had kids, it was the only thing that was hard about about having children. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't get to see my friends or I didn't get to go to events or something. But for me, it was just like, I didn't get to be alone. So sometimes, occasionally when I get a babysitter, when I get we get the babysitter, we would say like, okay, bye, you know, you got your bath and now we're gonna go. And I go out the back door and then I come in, out the front door and then I come in the back door. And then I go <laughs> into my room and I just like, ah. Breathe, <laughs> yeah. relax. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you need moments of escapism to recharge. Yeah, and escapism for me is not people, right? So for me, it's regenerating. It's just being by myself. What do you like to do? Um, I like to read. I like to watch movies. I like um, I like to learn things. And I'm a little, I, I guess as I've gotten older, I've gotten more, I don't know if it's OCD, but... I like to engage my mind. Like I like puzzles. I like fantasy football and stuff like that. I've been gardening recently. That's been gardening. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I did that Fresh for a while, and I really liked that. Yeah, got quite into that. Yeah, I like the gym. Yeah, it's so boring. It's good for the brain, though. Yeah, there's something about doing the same thing over and over again, and all the clanking and um, the discipline of it that I really like. I suppose starting at the age of three probably relates to that a little bit. Yeah. Well, um, it's a personality thing. Yeah. Sure. Nyad, congratulations. Thank you. I'm rooting for you. Thank you. In the next you. few weeks. Thank you. Um, I thought interesting, with, with Nyad and even with True Detective, there's a story there about not underestimating women. Right. Beneath that. Is that part of an attraction to you when you look, when, when a proposition comes over? Because I thought there's something really nice about that. Right. But to me, be, maybe because I'm a woman and I always have been one, I guess it seems sort of an obvious thing. You know, mm. for me, it's not like, you know, look at us. It's more like, look at me. You know, yeah, it, it, I guess we look at it from a different perspective. Um, somebody was saying that to me the other day about like, isn't it amazing that you know, True Detective is, you know, two women detectives and there's a one director, showrunner, and woman producer. I was like, I guess it's amazing. I don't know. I never had the option of doing it any other way. You know, I didn't have the option of playing the male parts. So, I guess, I guess it's amazing. Nyad, of course, Diana Nyad is an extraordinary athlete, extraordinary person, you know, brilliant person. And to play the, that team, Bonnie and Diana, for me, that was the whole point, yeah. You mentioned the gym, do you have to, you, I mean, you were in great shape for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not anymore. Uh, no? Uh, well, no, because pizza, you know, <laughs> pizza, pizza exists. What's your so, topping? Uh, I'm just a straight, you know, I like the regular things. Occasionally I like arula and prosciutto. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Okay, I'll come over that. Uh, <laughs> What about what's coming up for you next in terms of, do you, I mean, obviously. No idea. You're not yeah, thinking about that? I did two things back to back and I have no idea what's next. I think it will be behind the camera. I, I think, I've, you know, acting back to back like that makes me want to go behind the camera again. Um, I'm trying to get some one thing off the ground. We'll see if it works out. Does the directing help in the, when you do like Black Mirror, for example? Yes. I guess it's not, 
I mean, similar to True Detective in that each episode is different and obviously each series of True Detective yes. is different. Does that help kind of engage and see how things could play out? Well, anthology is the best part of streaming. And there aren't very many anthology series, but, you know, for me that's the best thing, which is you take a tone or a feeling or an idea and then every time you do it, you do it with a totally different cast, a totally different perspective. For me, that's, you know, that was the beauty of, of doing this True Detective and also how much I loved doing Black Mirror. That was a real treat for me, a lot of fun. Were you involved behind the scenes with True Detective? Do you like to... I'm an executive producer on True Detective, yeah. so that basically just means I worked a lot with the scripts with Issa. And you we... developed the character quite a bit from how it was initially intended, right? Yes, yeah. the original character was yeah. very was quite different, and um, we kind of together collaborated to try to make her, you know, to change her up a bit. I was much older than the character that they initially thought about, so I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't like trying to play 40 so that we could age her up to 60 and then that changed things, right? That, you know, it meant that the the grief that she was living was, was, was old. It was an old grief. It wasn't a brand new one and that changed a lot of things. I'm quite compliment that they, oh, <laughs> they were thinking you. that anyway. Um, because that's the thing with the character, there is a lot of uh, trauma. Do, do we, in the sixth and last episode, obviously there's been a plot twist at the end of number five. Right. Do we get more re reveals there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, six explains everything. So six is extraordinary. It is in itself an, its own little movie. It's the best episode of all, of course, and the most emotional and the most surprising. I think nobody, not a single person has ever seen it coming. I've been really patient. I've been doing it week yeah. by week, watching it, right. ready for Monday to... Obviously, when this episode comes out, it'll be out. And I encourage everybody to watch it, because oh, it's good. amazing. Thank you so much Thank you. for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure okay. turning to you. And, you too. Um, good luck with the Oscars. As I said, I'll be rooting for okay. you. And, okay, uh, well, I'm rooting for the other four, so you can root for me. I'm going to root for you, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, J.D. Thank you. Big, big thank you to Jodie Foster. If I didn't do it at the top of the episode, I hope the actual conversation emphasised how extraordinary her life and career has been. And in some ways, maybe the plot twist was starting at the age of three. You know, she was very open in saying, I wasn't meant to be an actor. This is not part of my character to this very day. But perhaps that competitive streak, wanting to be good to impress her mum, to be the breadwinner, and clearly getting that bug for movies, it took her to extraordinary heights, two Oscars before the age of 30. And then you zoom forward to the present day, she seeks a realness, an emotion, she can be selective with the projects, five projects over 10 years, but she clearly selects winners, Nyad and now True Detective. It was such a treat to chat to her, a cinema legend, and as I said in the interview, I'll be rooting for her over the next few weeks with the Oscars. A big, big thank you to Jodie Foster once again. And next week, my guest is Joanne Frogger, star of Downton Abbey and a new series on ITVX called Breathtaking. Joanne is somebody that I've been wanting to chat to for quite some time, so really looking forward to that. And until then, ciao, guys. Ciao, guys.